Welcome to episode four of Adulting 101, the pod. On this episode, counseling psychologist Elena Gomes tells us how we can use therapy to break barriers and master adulting. Hey everyone, today we are talking about something that I think is truly transformational, and that is therapy. I think that therapy is really one of those tools that we can use to identify issues, create strategies to manage those issues, sharpen our life skills, and really and truly become better adults. So today we are joined by counseling psychologist Elena Gomes. And Honestly, she has done some amazing work in the mental health space. In our conversation today, she's going to tell us how we can break barriers with therapy to really and truly start living our best lives, because that is the goal. So, Elena, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Andrina. Thank you for having me. No problem. Now, of course, I know that you're going to give us a whole lot of guidance today, a lot of tips and tricks. And by the end of it, our community is going to be so much better off. Therapy is just one of those things that, you know, it's kind of taboo. Some people have gotten with it and a lot of people are still a, a bit hesitant. Before we dive into, you know, our discussion today, I wanted to talk about you and why you chose the profession of psychology. I know it has to be a calling, you know, because you guys are doing such amazing work. But for you, what was your why? Well, you know, I've gotten that question quite a few times. Um, uh, to be honest, I've always known for as long as I can remember, I always knew that I wanted to do something that involved helping people to feel better about themselves, to figure things out, to challenge them, to just get to know people in general because I was always looked at by my friends as somebody that they could confide in and seek advice and somebody who wouldn't judge them. And so I always thought, well, what could I possibly do with this, you know, gift or this want to do this that I could make money when I get older? And it wasn't until I was in third form that we had an assignment to do. I don't remember which subject exactly, but we had an assignment to do and we had to do research on a particular profession. And that's when I found out that a psychologist, that's exactly what I want to do. And as I researched more and more from third form, fourth, fifth, etc., I realized more and more that this is exactly what I want to do. So it, it's amazing to know that you like kind of capitalize on what your natural talents are. I've actually thought that psychology is also pretty cool. In a perfect world, if I, you know, could study a whole bunch of things, I probably would study psychology just to figure out like how the mind works. But it's clear that it's your purpose because I have seen you do like so many amazing things with your actual profession. So I'm happy that, you know, you found the right fit for you. Thank you. I am too. Uh, I know there's some people who are still searching and that, that in itself is a journey that's very difficult and it can get frustrating, but you'll definitely find it. Anybody who's listening to this and you know, you're kind of struggling to figure out what your career path is, you'll find it. It just takes a little time. You're not going to find it you know, as quick as maybe your friend did, but you will. Okay, so I want to start framing the discussion with talking about what therapy is. I know that for some people, there's a bit of a common misconception. So some people think perhaps that therapy is someone like lecturing you for hours and telling you all the things that 
you've done wrong in your life and how you need to correct it. Or perhaps you have to tell your deepest, darkest secrets to someone. And then there's inevitably that fear that all of your business is going to be on the streets. So a lot of people are apprehensive about, you know, speaking to someone or speaking to a professional. I want to talk about what therapy actually is. What, what is it? So therapy essentially is listening and being aware of the problem that your client is facing, being aware of what they want to get out of therapy, so their goals. We focus a lot on creating goals with our clients. And it's about working together with your clients to reach where they want to be. It's not not all the time where you have to relay information from your past and all of your deep, dark secrets. It's really dependent on what your purpose for coming to therapy. For some people, you have to go back into their background and find out, you know, what was going on, look into their childhood, that type of information. And for some people, you're just mainly focusing on the present and helping them to get to where they want to be in the future, right? So it's different for every person. And so that's why we like to tell people therapy is very individualized. It's not one set plan for everybody. You have to treat each client as their own and their problems as something you've never dealt with before. And of course, I know that you guys would have a professional code and confidentiality is part of that. So Elena's not going to come to me and say, boy, Andrina, can you imagine what Jane Doe told me today? You, you know, so kind of just reassuring to people that that's not what a, a therapist should do. Yes, definitely not what a therapist should do. Uh, we have a very strict code of conduct that we go through you know, just before you can call yourself a psychologist or a mental health practitioner in general, that focuses on when we can break confidentiality, because there are some cases where we can and we must. And those cases are, for example, if the client says that they are, you know, in danger in some way, if they're being abused, whether it's physically, um, physically, sexually, emotionally, however they're being abused, or if they tell us that they want to commit suicide. If they tell us any one of those three things, we do have to tell someone, usually either an emergency contact or just the relevant authorities, which is dependent on where exactly you live in the world, okay? So outside of that, all your information is usually kept confidential, but if we think you are in danger, then we need to tell somebody. So at the end of the day, it's us really trying to look out for you, not us trying to spread your business, okay? We might also be, just because you you know, are also a lawyer and it just popped up in my head, we could also be subpoenaed by the court. And if we are subpoenaed, then we do have to provide the information. And I feel like that, as you said, it, it, your job is really to help people. So if it is that under a reasonable circumstance, you have to divulge some sort of information, fine. But just your regular conversations, not going to end up on the streets. We can segue now into finding out or talking about who therapy is really for. So again, a lot of us are kind of like, well, I'm normal. I don't need therapy. I have not identified or objectively someone else has not identified that there is an issue that I have presented with that and I need to go and speak to a professional. What I think is that in our society, in our generation, a lot of us throw around that word, quote unquote, normal. A lot of us are normalizing toxic and depression or unhealthy relationships not realizing that we don't exist in a normal environment and therapy is for us to me therapy kind of touches and concerns everybody but you can tell me if i'm wrong or right and tell us who therapy is for you hit the nail on the head <laughs> therapy is for 
any and everybody, literally. Anyone who's having a challenging time in their life and needs some assistance is figuring out what to do and how to go about doing it, therapy is for you. It's not just, you know, you being diagnosed with having something like, you know, depression or bipolar disorder. It can literally be you not being able to manage your time right now in your life as you shift from, you know, being a teenager to a young adult or even from a young adult to being, you know, a bit more mature and you're trying to do other things like, you know, own land and that sort of thing, you know, which is a bit more uh, complicated and you need somebody to help guide you. You might need somebody to help guide you figure out which career path you want to be in. So it's literally for anybody. You know, every year we're often encouraged to get like an annual medical checkup. We may not be presenting with uh, a pain in our side or anything that we think, an, a, a gaping open wound or something. But we just know to ourselves, okay, well, you know, I need to go to my uh, general practitioner just to make sure everything is okay or I need to clean my teeth, or I need to check my eyes. And I just find that we should have that type of normalized uh, approach to our mental health. Like, okay, maybe I'm not thinking that anything is wrong, or I don't have anything to talk about, but let me just check in with my therapist, just to talk about what has been happening, and see if, you know, how I'm doing with life. And from then you may realize, well, oh gosh, I didn't, I didn't identify that I actually had this particular issue, or maybe it's just refreshing to talk to someone about life. But I feel like it's very comparable to just getting a checkup, getting a check-in. It is. And we do need to normalize it a lot more because it, it's helpful, you know, just coming in to see a therapist and, you know, tell them, well, you know what? I just want to talk to somebody about a few things that are happening in my life right now, maybe get a little advice or see if I'm on track with certain things in my life and that's fine you don't have to come to therapy because you have some deep-rooted problem from your childhood that you're trying to figure out it doesn't have to be that you could literally just want to check in see how you're doing or get a little advice exactly and sometimes i mean we can always say okay well i can get advice from you know my community just previously we did an episode on community and support but i feel as if sometimes it's good to get an objective opinion you know, the people in your community love you and support you. So they may not give you the harsh reality of, you know, what your thoughts or your processes or what you're doing in life is. And so I think that a therapist can kind of set you straight or explain to you in a very objective way uh, what you have been doing, what you should do, the changes that you should make. And so a lot of us are, are make the excuse that, well, you know, I don't really need to go to a therapist for a check-in. I could just you know, talk to my favorite uncle and he'll tell me that everything's going great. Objective opinions are very important. Harsh realities and harsh truths. Exactly. And a lot of the times we prefer to go to people who would tell us what we want to hear as opposed to going to somebody who is going to tell us the reality of the situation and help us move forward in that regard. So definitely I agree with you that we need to not, not just normalize seeing or seeking therapy, but to also recognize that we need to sometimes get that harsh truth, hear it, and figure out what our next steps are going to be instead of pretending we are living our best life, as people like to say, when in truth, we're probably not. Just by talking about that, that objectivity, the harsh realities, and, you know, just finding out what the truth is, we're kind of getting into the next part of the discussion, which is the benefits of therapy. I kind of, we kind of softly touched on it, 
but I know that the benefits of therapy are plentiful. For me particularly, I've seen people say like, listen, going to therapy was the best decision of my life. And I think that is absolutely true. But just generally, what can we derive? What kind of benefits can we actually see tangibly uh, from making the decision to see somebody or to speak to a professional, to speak to a therapist? So it would definitely depend on, you know, the person and why they're seeking therapy. But general benefits that I think most, if not all clients would possibly receive from therapy would for sure be, you know, a greater and deeper sense of self. Because when you come to therapy, you're essentially trying to figure out more about you. <laughs> so you would definitely learn more about yourself and how to get to where you want to be. And as you find out how to get to where you want to be, you'll develop more goal-oriented skills and try and figure out, well, you know what, these are the goals I want to create. This is how, well, achieve, sorry, this is how I can achieve them. And these are the small tasks I'm going to do. And in therapy, you know, we kind of hold you accountable for that. And as you we call it terminating therapy. So once you terminate therapy, you're able to not just create the goals on your own, but set the boundaries and be disciplined enough to carry out these tasks to create these goals. You can also positively change how you interact with others. Sometimes when people come to therapy, you know, it's very difficult sometimes for people to have different perspectives. It's very, some people think that, you know what, it's just my way or the highway, or they interact with persons in a particular way, and they think that it's actually okay, and that they have effective communication skills. And then after they realize that, okay, well, you know, I have not been communicating that effectively, maybe I'm a bit too passive aggressive, or I'm a bit too aggressive. And so my message doesn't come across the way I want it to, right? Um, And you also learn coping skills. As we get older, there, as the podcast is called Adulting 101, you learn that there's so many different challenges you're going to experience in your life, and you're not going to be able to positively and effectively handle them if you don't have certain coping skills. So therapy definitely helps you to harness those coping skills necessary for you to handle things like stress, how to handle things like change, Right. Um, which, you know, is a big thing as we get older, change. Yeah, and and as you said, obviously, those are very general benefits, but those are also very great benefits. The thing that I, I hear you reiterating time and time again is that therapy is very much suited to the person. So it depends on what you are trying to get. And then, of course, those benefits will follow. But as adults, you know, there are certain themes that kind of revolve around all of our lives. And it's undoubtable or, you know, you can't argue that you won't derive those types of benefits. You know, you spoke about communication, I think, and it just popped up into my head with regard to like organizations and business. And what are your thoughts about organizations making sure that there's either an in-house therapist or perhaps providing therapy for their employees, do you think that it can boost productivity and morale within the organization itself? Definitely. And I'm not just saying that because that's my profession. There are lots of studies done by industrial and relational psychologists who can see an organizational psychologist, sorry, who can prove that having psychologists or mental health practitioners come in and either train their employees or be on call if you know an employee or on file I should say if an employee needs some sort of assistance 
these businesses always thrive and do better in the long run because they're providing their employees with this particular service as opposed to businesses and organizations who aren't. Um, and it's great to see that many more organizations and businesses are currently doing that by offering mental health practitioners for their employees who seem to be having a difficult time or, um, you know, just, you know, as check-ins for certain employees. Uh, and there are also some businesses and organizations who have, uh, I'll call them, I'll call them surveys and questionnaires that they have for their either employees that they're just hiring or, you know, a yearly type of check-in to see how their employees are doing. So I think that, thankfully, we are slowly normalizing, including mental health and mental health practices in our daily lives and in our business and organizations. And I think that if more businesses and organizations saw the need or realized the need for that, then more businesses would be thriving, more employees would be happier to come to work. Um, and it's not even just simply bringing in a mental health practitioner once in a while, not that that isn't beneficial, it definitely is, but even just changing different aspects of the work, the work day can be beneficial to your employees, like including maybe once a week, all the employees, depending on how many staff you have, right? Um, all the employees go and we do maybe some yoga or we do some sort of mental health and wellness walk or, you know, every Friday they provide healthy foods, um, maybe around lunchtime or around a particular time of the day that they could associate with it being snack time to kind of boost energy for their employees or something. There's little things that you can do, you know, throughout the day and in the general office day-to-day -day activities that you can also do that help to improve people's mental health. Awesome. I'm happy we touched on that. That just kind of popped up into my head. And I think that it's really great. And, and we should encourage businesses. As you said, it's getting a little bit more normalized. And I recognize that, but I would really like to see an increase in businesses and organizations who just take it upon themselves to ensure that they are making sure that mental health is paramount and uh, one of the important pillars of their actual organization. I mean, happy employees, more productive employees, you know, I think that health and wellness should really be at the forefront. I'm throwing around the word counselor, therapist, psychologist. I haven't said um, psychiatrist though. Is there a difference between a counselor and a therapist and then a psychologist and then a psychiatrist? <laughs> so a general umbrella, we like to kind of put everything in, is mental health practitioner. Uh, therapist, a lot of people use because it could, uh, I'm putting that in quotes here, could be used to generalize most mental health practitioners. And I think that's kind of just cultural. Um, but there are a couple differences to our professional capacities where it comes to you know, whether you are a counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, right? Especially between the counselors that, and psychologists and psychiatrists, the psychiatrists are the only ones, other the ones that we've mentioned, that can actually prescribe medication. So that's a very distinct difference, right? Um, psychiatrists also tend to diagnose and assess a lot more than counselors and psychologists do. 
counselors and psychologists would help to assist clients to a lot more talk therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, counselors, depending on your degree and your level of expertise, can also diagnose a specific test and instruments, you know, depending on, you know, if they have to test for, for example, depression or ADHD or something, um, as well as psychologists, because there are different types of psychologists, just like there are also different types of counselors. So it's a very, um, I guess, word to describe mental health practitioners, and it kind of all boils down to what your professional skills are, uh, what your degree was in, but for sure, a psychiatrist is the only one that can prescribe medication when we come to assessing and helping clients to achieve goals and deliver things like talk therapy, psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. Both counselors and psychologists can do that, but the amount of assessing and testing they can do, that degree is a bit different. Okay, and then that brings me to my next question. How do you find the right therapist? So either one, you're like, listen, I just don't want to go and tell somebody everything about my life, you know, or start this process and this is the wrong person for me. Or perhaps you've tried, you know, a session with someone, hasn't really been the right fit and you're deterred from the entire process itself. Not only that, we keep saying again and again that this whole process of approaching a mental health practitioner depends on what you want to get from the actual process. You identify what you want, but how can you find a therapist that's right for you? And then perhaps if you have a session that's not so great, how can you have the motivation to keep looking? Knowing that you are trying to find the right therapist can only happen after you've had those first few interactions. Therapy and this forming the therapeutic relationship with you and your therapist is extremely important. So if you realize that in the first couple of sessions, you're not clicking with this therapist, you're not, you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, maybe their particular style of therapy might not be what you're looking for, right? And it's sometimes really hard to realize that, okay, well, you know what, I've just tried somebody, they know quite a bit about me already, because I've only seen them maybe two times. And now I have to find someone else, because I don't feel comfortable. And I sometimes tell people that finding the right therapist is like finding the right partner sometimes. <laughs> and you have to go through finding, you know, go through seeing other people and figuring out, okay, well, you know what, I can talk to this person. I can trust them. I feel comfortable with them. I think that they bring out the best in me. I think that they really try to help me reach my goals because that's what you want, okay? And it, sometimes you have to just take the plunge and try someone else. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard to try and find somebody you're comfortable with. But at the end of the day, it will be so much more worth it if you find somebody that you can create that therapeutic relationship with because you'll actually begin to start seeing positive changes in therapy. Because we're looking for that transformation and of course trying to get to the best version of ourselves or whatever it is that we are interested in in doing, it's not it's never gonna be easy. You know, the process is kind of part of the journey, but because you know, we have heard so much, so much testimony to I think that in of itself is motivation. What I wanted to talk about though 
because we're talking about breaking barriers. We're talking about becoming our best selves. We're talking about maybe even discovering some childhood traumas. How can therapy help us to break down those barriers, sharpen our life skills, identifying maybe things that happened in our childhood that are keeping us back and really push through and become the person that we want to be? There are different techniques and strategies that we would use to try to help you to <clears throat> recognize that, you know, what you had, what happened to you in the past is something we're really going to have to dive into, right? And also, it also comes with a level of comfort and trust that you need to build with your therapist. So that all goes back to the therapeutic relationship that we spoke about. And so to break those kind of barriers, the individual who's going for therapy really has to trust their therapist, trust and cooperate with the techniques and strategies that they are asking them to do, whether it is in or out of therapy, and also trust themselves to go down that road that they kind of don't want to go down because it's going to be uncomfortable. I tell people all the time, therapy is uncomfortable. <laughs> um, you're literally sharing the vulnerable parts of yourself with a stranger. Yes, you know that they're not going to tell anybody because, you know, by law and ethically they can't, but it's, it's hard. You are being vulnerable and in any part of your life, any stage of your life that you're being vulnerable, is going to be hard. So, so I like to tell people that in order for us to break barriers and reach where you want to be in therapy, you're going to have to, one, trust me, and you're going to have to, two, want to put in work because that's ultimately what it's going to be, right? Um, and outside of breaking the barriers of you preventing yourself from kind of going backward to seeing the trauma, to experiencing the trauma, it's also breaking the stigma-related barriers that are preventing people from reaching therapy. And in order to do that, sometimes, and, I, and sometimes I can tell, the people who reach out to me that are a bit hesitant to even start. And so I like to, you know, answer question, any questions that they have first, you know, do a telephone, free consult or something like that, because it can be really scary reaching out to somebody and wanting to start therapy. And that barrier needs to be broken first before you can break any internal barriers that are preventing you from growing. So what I'm hearing is kind of like, it's going to be a challenge, but you need to be consistent. You need to be disciplined. You need to do the work and then you're really going to see the results. So it's kind of like a stick with it type of program. You know, we go to the gym. Sometimes you go, sometimes you don't. Then we're like, where, where are our abs? Like, why don't I have a six pack? And where's like, the results? Yeah. Where are the results? But if you want to see the results, you have to stick with the program and see it through. And after one week, you may discover something, but you may not break the barriers that perhaps you're thinking that you want to break. So it's going to take time, but it's a collaborative effort. It's a lot of trust, a lot of vulnerability. And of course, there are going to be systems and strategies and work that your therapist is going to give to you, but you now have to kind of put them into motion in your, in your life. Because, you know, it won't work unless you're motivated to change. Okay, so earlier, I think you kind of touched very briefly on healthy coping mechanisms. Girl, we have been going through it between COVID, recessions, 
wars. There's been a lot of instability in our environment. And I think that as humans, we like predictability, we like stability, and that kind of helps us to flourish. But it's been anything but that recently. And even though we're coming out of the pandemic, it's kind of in the back of our brains, like, okay, so what's going to happen now, right? So we're a little bit anxious. A lot of us are suffering from panic, stress, depression, and we're kind of just normalizing it. But what we're trying to do is find, well, we find coping mechanisms, right? To kind of help us through a lot of these coping mechanisms that we find are not really the best for us, for our mental health, for our bodies, and won't be the best for us in the long run. When I started law school, we had a talk with a lot of very senior legal professionals. It was like an orientation. There was one gentleman in particular who was telling us that the profession of law can be very daunting and challenging at times. And quite often, I think we have the highest rate of alcoholism, um, abusing drugs, etc., just because People are trying to find a way to cope. So they were kind of bringing it to our attention and warning us to try to find healthy coping mechanisms and not go down that road. I want to talk about healthy coping mechanisms and how we can really implement them in our lives. One thing I like to drive home to myself and for my clients is that you need to create self-care practices that work best for you, your schedule and your likes and your dislikes. And these self-care practices are things that you either need to do daily or weekly, right? Monthly, I don't usually recommend on, because at the end of the day, you're faced with challenges and stressful situations either daily or weekly, depending on what you do and you know who you are. So these self-care practices are things that you need to do. And self-care practices could be as simple as taking 30 minutes at the end of the day to, you know, maybe journal or do some meditation or just not look at your phone for 30 minutes or anything electronic for that matter. Maybe even read a book for 30 minutes. That in itself is you taking care of yourself. You're shutting away from, shutting yourself away from all of the things that might possibly be stressing you out. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's just seeing overwhelming amount of messages in your WhatsApp or iMessage that you have not been able to answer because you've been so busy at work. And it's hard for you to come home at the end of the day and see all these messages or see that you have chores to do or something without taking that mental break and also ultimately a physical break. So you're trying to take a physical and mental break from everything that's going on, you need to find that time, okay? And it doesn't have to be long. It could be 10 minutes to do a breathing exercise for 10 minutes. It could be the 30 minutes. It could be an hour if you have that time. But try your best to, in your routine, daily or weekly routine, fit in time to do that. Fit in time to exercise. Exercise is one of the most important uh, activities that you can do to reduce stress and burnout because you are ultimately releasing tension from your body when you're exercising and also increasing the amount of feel-good hormones in your body, right? So exercising, I'm a huge advocate for that. I will also admit that I don't do it as much as I should, but I'm a huge advocate for it because it does work. <laughs> um, healthy eating. And, you know, I'm sure maybe people might be wondering, you know, these 
it sounds so simple, you know, exercise, healthy eating. It really sim- it sounds simple, but it works, right? And you don't have to do really hard things or take medication in order for you to necessarily be feeling better or reduce your stress level. It's literally just changing some of your lifestyle habits. And so exercising, healthy eating, incorporating the fruits, journaling, deep breathing, these are healthy coping mechanisms. You know, as you said, they sound so simple, but a lot of times we get really caught up in our professional life, in our personal life. I mean, we often say that you go through your nine to five from Monday to Friday, you blink, the weekend's over, you've done nothing. You've done your errands, you've done your adulting, quote unquote, but you've done nothing for yourself. At the end of the day, you really have to take your self-care into consideration and if you're not around to run around and do all of those things that you're prioritizing over your health then what is the point so creating a system and creating a habit is obviously important i mean it takes time to make things a habit but just starting is the important part and i think that the benefits that you get because i I, i'm trying to be more consistent with my healthy eating as you had mentioned and exercising as well And so for the past month, I've really been very strict with it. And I've been seeing a lot of benefits, just my energy, my attitude, like literally my outlook on life. I'm like, oh, wow. You know, and you see the change. So yes, it's difficult because when you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, our community is probably saying, okay, but Elena, how am I going to find time to do all of this? Right. But you make the time to do the things that you want to do or you find are important. So I think making the time is what's important. You make the time for the, the work meeting or you make time to wash your clothes because it's important you need to put on clothes, but it's also important for you to ensure that your mind and your body are in a state that will help you to function every day. So Elena, we've kind of come to the end of this discussion, but this was a very helpful conversation. I think that there's so many gems in here that I have taken, you know, just the benefits of therapy, how we can find the right therapist, of course, just the healthy coping mechanisms, what we just spoke about kind of cemented for me that self-care is really important. We have to take our mental health into consideration and make sure that is that it is like our number one priority. So at this juncture, I'm going to let you talk about your services and what you offer to the public and how you can help people to break those barriers and become their best selves. Sure. Thank you. And just so everybody knows, I am accessible on Instagram. My Instagram handle for my business is at Guiding Lanes. Um, I see couples, individuals. I do workshops for schools, groups, uh, organizations, businesses, um, and also individual therapy for children as young as five, teenagers, and adults. I try my best to help out in all aspects of um, my community. And when I say all aspects of my community, I mean I help right now, I do work with a school Um, both the primary and secondary school. I also do workshops for churches. I also work closely with different businesses and organizations to do workshops, see employees individually for counseling, and just a whole host of different things because at the end of the day, we all need to kind of increase and normalize the amount of mental health care that is offered wherever you are living. 
in the world and I'm just trying to do that I just want to help people and if anybody wants to reach out to me ask a question get therapy you can definitely reach me on Instagram at my handle or you can also contact me on my website my website is www.guidinglanes.com and I'll be looking forward to hearing from you if you decide to reach out and let's not forget that awesome journal that I saw that you launched the other day can you remind me of the title Yes, how can I forget the journal? <laughs> um, so it's called my five-minute intentional journal. Uh, it takes literally five minutes. I would have created it as a way for people to be a bit more intentional with how they go about their days. And so it's something that you could do in the morning. There's a morning page and there's also a night page. So the morning kind of sets the tone for your day. And the nighttime page helps you to reflect on the day and also prepare for tomorrow. So if anybody wants to get that, I have physical copies if you're in Antigua and it's also available on Amazon for purchase. Awesome. And I, I had to highlight that journaling is a very important part of their routine and they should make sure that they journal at least every day. So thank you, Elena, once again for having this awesome conversation with us. I really do feel like our community is going to benefit from all of the things that we spoke about here today. And I hope that we are all encouraged to take our mental health a lot more serious and to ensure that we put these systems in place to break those barriers and live our best lives. So that is the end of episode four, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to check you on the next episode of Adulting 101, the pod.